British chaplain, Oswald Chambers, who we now have my favorite devotional of all times, my utmost for his highest, once said, the Spirit of God is the first power we practically experience, but the last power that we come to understand. And I think it's true that we have a difficult time understanding God's Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in our lives. We get caught up in kind of the debate, one of the mostly, most debated and talked about theological issues in the church today is the presence of the Holy Spirit. And today is Pentecost Sunday. It's, we're celebrating 50 days after Easter, and it was 50 days after Easter um, on that first century when Jesus actually did come, and he did die, and he did rise again from the dead. And then he came back, and he visited over the course of 40 days to over 500 people, and then he ascended into heaven. But that's not all of the story. In fact, the disciples, his followers, the people that he is, their rabbi taught, he told them that there would be another one, that God would come upon them, that the Spirit of God would be with them. And they were waiting. They were waiting. They were expecting. They were waiting for the arrival of God's Holy Spirit. Check out Luke 24, verse 49, and behold... I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But Jesus gives them instructions, stay in the city, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And we see in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, uh, Luke, once again, who's writing this, as Justin reminded us last week, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you hear, heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so Jesus instructs his followers to stay in Jerusalem and wait 10 more days. I don't like to wait. Do you like to wait? I don't think any of us like to wait. I really don't like to wait, but... You, we have learned something about waiting over the course of the last few months, haven't we? Do you remember all the way back in, in March when we were waiting to find out if this thing was actually going to be a pandemic? We were waiting to find out what the World Health Organization would say about this thing called COVID-19, coronavirus. We waited on officials to tell us how long we were going to be in quarantine. Do you remember there was a day when we thought quarantine was going to be two weeks? That would have been nice, right? That would have been great. And then we wait as we find out what the extent of the damage is, and we wait to find out what's going to happen with the markets, and we wait to find out about what's going to happen with our businesses, and now we're waiting to find out when we're going to reopen. A few weeks ago, it was if we were going to reopen. Now it's when are we going to reopen, and some of you are waiting to find out about school, and you're waiting to find out about your loved ones, and we're waiting to find out what the full impact of corona is. And over these past 72, 48 hours to 72 hours, we've been waiting for something else. We've been waiting to find out what the ramifications of someone who has power and authority and abuses someone of a different color, what that means. 
we've been waiting to find out what's the next city that has had peaceful protests, that has had prayer, and all of a sudden it breaks out in riots. And we in America have two great diseases. We have one that's coronavirus, COVID-19, but we also have this disease of racism and the abuse of power and the abuse of authority and then a response that has been abused. And I'm going to ask Justin and I'm going to ask Jesus to come up on stage here with me and I want to pray for America. Franklin Graham has asked for all the churches to be praying for America and I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you wherever you are, if you're in a safe place to be able to get on your knees or to lift up your hands to pray for America, we need to pray that God heals our land. And guys, if you would join me as we kneel in prayer. And Father, I pray right now as the results of what happened in Minneapolis over the course of these past few days, God, have been so incredibly tragic with uh, the response to or, uh, the, what happened with George Floyd. God, there is no excuse for what happened to him. And God, we see this bubble up far too often. We see it, seeing it bubble up at all is a horrible thing. And Father, I pray that you would be with that family I pray that you would be with our cities. God, I pray that you would heal our nation from the abuse of those who are in powerful positions, whether it's a, an officer or whether it's a politician or whether it's a teacher or even a pastor. God, I pray that you would rid us, that you would convict us, that your Holy Spirit, as we talk about today, God, that you would change us from the inside out and God, that we would not abuse our power for any reason. And Father, I pray that you would rid America of any racism that we wanted so desperately to see in the rearview mirror and not in front of us, yet it still is. And God, I pray that you would heal our land. God, I pray that you would heal our country, that you would heal our world, both from this disease of coronavirus, but also the disease that we see in racism, in inequality, in injustice. And God, I pray for places like Atlanta and Detroit and even Columbia, South Carolina and Minneapolis that these peaceful protests that were meant to stand for something have turned into something that's violent and, and tragic. And Father, I pray that you would protect us, that you would challenge us and that you would change us and that you would heal us and that you would restore us. Help us, Father, to look up to you that we would look up to you, the one that we can look to for our help during these times. Heal our land, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Justin and Jesus. And I would ask you to continue to pray for an end to COVID-19, but also an end to this ugly disease of racism that we see far too often. While we wait, we struggle. But I've got to tell you, church, that it's in the waiting that we also grow. It's in the waiting for God that these disciples, I'm sure, struggled emotionally. They probably struggled because Jesus was gone. But they also grew spiritually, I'm sure. Their faith grew. And then all of a sudden, the arrival of the Holy Spirit happens. This amazing event that takes place in the course of human history that has massive ramifications for you and for me, but they had to wait. It was one of the after effects of Jesus returning once again to heaven that they had to wait for God to come, to wait for God to move. Are you waiting for God to move right now in a certain area of your life?
Maybe you're waiting on a job. Maybe you're waiting to find out if your business will respond once the economy gets going. Maybe you're waiting to find out um, what's going to happen with a relationship that's gone awry in your life. Maybe you're waiting to find out what's going to happen in a health issue that you're faced with or that a loved one is faced with. Waiting on anything is not fun, but it's during the waiting when our faith is forged, when our spiritual life grows, and then all of a sudden God moves and he does something absolutely amazing. He does something dramatic that that puts its imprint on our lives like no other time. These disciples, they were waiting on the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, they probably didn't even know exactly what was going to take place. Even though Jesus had told them, Jesus had told them that the the comforter would come, that there would be one that would take his place. They knew about it, and if they really understood the Old Testament, if they understood their Torah, they would have understood that God's presence, the Spirit of God, had existed from the beginning of time, even before time, because he's one part of the Trinity. He's one part of the Godhead. It's God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so even though we see this dramatic arrival of God's Spirit in this example here, God's Spirit has existed from day one, from the beginning. In fact, back in Genesis it says that the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Several times throughout the Old Testament, we see God's Holy Spirit moving in the lives of of people. So this arrival is a New Testament, a new covenant arrival. It's a, a new time arrival for the Christians from that point moving forward, from those who are Christ followers moving forward. And so many times, we don't understand this. So many times we get confused, or so many times we, got, we get caught up in the debate and the comparison of God's Holy Spirit and His presence in our lives, that it becomes something of, of a pride thing for us, either intellectual or spiritual pride. And today, I want to help clear up the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the receiving of the Holy Spirit, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, probably terms that if you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard. We see the arrival of God's Holy Spirit in Acts 2, verses 1 through 4. Let's take a look this morning. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they, these disciples, were sitting. Can you imagine? Can you imagine their surprise? Can you imagine what they might have been going through during that time? Verse 3, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is where we see the arrival, this New Testament, this But we see him coming, and we see him coming down on the church. We see him arriving for those who are Christ followers. But i got to tell you that sometimes we're looking for this mighty rushing wind ourselves. We're looking for tongues of fire. And the problem is, is that we're looking for the experience when the presence of God has been with us the whole time. 
We're looking for some kind of first century Christian experience when the presence of God's Holy Spirit has been with us. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. You see, you may have an experience. You may have a one-time occurrence that is dramatic in your life. You might have gone on a missions trip and seen the power of God, seen the Spirit of God at work. I know I have in certain uh, instances, but it was nothing like this. And that's because the arrival of God's Holy Spirit on the Christians in the first century was a one-time, a unique one-time occurrence. It was something that God had set apart for those Christians at that time, the first time that God's Spirit arrives for those in this new day who were called Christ followers. And you see, Jesus understood and God understood that we, in this day and age, that we would need someone who would help guide us, who would help counsel us, who would lead us into wisdom and knowledge and understanding and truth and give us discernment and help convict those who are far from God and call them close to him. He knew that we would need this counselor. He knew that we would need this one who's described as a dove as wind, as water, as fire, as oil, in so many different uh, uh, pictures that we have from God's word, this one. He knew that the church would need his presence, and so he sent his Holy Spirit who had been there from the beginning. And church, we certainly do, especially during this day and age, we need his presence. We need to understand that we have the availability to tap in to God's Holy Spirit as a church, capital C, and as a church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, and as a Christ follower for you and for me. And that when we don't, when we don't tap into his Holy Spirit, who's already living in our lives, and as Cynthia prayed, is already indwelling our lives, then we miss out on the most powerful part of what God gave us, the inheritance that he gave us. And the church suffers as a result. Francis Chan said this. He said, the church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes purely a human creation. He goes on to say that we are not all we were made to be when Everything in our lives and our churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. See, the church becomes stale and hollow and shallow and impotent when we don't have God's Spirit leading and guiding us. And we see in Acts chapter 2 when God's Spirit came upon those Christians, the beginning of God working in a new way for a new era. And we, church, continue in that new way, in that new era. And so we see the arrival of God's Holy Spirit. But then we also have the personal receiving of God's Holy Spirit. And great debate happens in a lot of churches as to when are we filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to show you a few passages that Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament. He writes this in Romans 8, chapters, uh, chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. He writes this. He says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone, he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ, he says, is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. He says the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, I'm going to come back to that word dwell in a moment. If, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see, the work and the possession and the work and the moving and the calling and the following of God's Holy Spirit in a Christ follower is an indicator that they have had a conversion experience, that they have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. And Paul uses that word dwell to communicate to us that at the time that we become saved, that we receive God's Holy Spirit into our lives. That at that time where we confess Jesus as our Savior, that at that moment of salvation when we admit that we are sinners and that we need God, that we needed Jesus, we needed that sacrifice that God provided through his Son to have access to God, see, at that moment, we receive God's Holy Spirit, and he begins a work in us. And Paul is saying here that that is the greatest indicator of someone who's a Christ follower. It's the greatest indicator of someone who's being saved, but we also get the indication, we get the clear message that that's what happens when we become saved, that we receive God's Holy Spirit. I, I love Eugene Peterson. He wrote the, the message, or he edited, or he, he brought together, he was the editor on the message, which is almost like a commentary on the Bible. It's not actually a translation. It's a paraphrase. And I don't use it to study, but I use it to get pictures because sometimes it creates a great picture in our modern day language of what God was communicating. And we see him write this same passage or rewrite this same passage in a, in a more modern vernacular, more modern language. He says this in verses 9 through 11. But if God himself has taken up residence in your life, that's what the words dwell mean that Paul wrote, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Oh, man. So true, isn't it? That if God is truly in us, if we truly have become saved, that we're going to be thinking more about him than of us. He goes on to say, anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, I love that, clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ, won't know what we're talking about, but, you, but for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms, on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, takes up residency in your life, he says it stands to reason that the God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, that he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, 
and he does, as he surely did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be alive as Christ's. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson put that because he describes the spirit of God as the clearly present God. And if it is true, which we believe that it's true, that at that moment of salvation that the Holy Spirit begins to reside in the one that has given them their life to Christ, my question to you who already are Christ followers, is he clearly present in you? You see, the problem is is that we as Christ followers take these verses and we use them to judge others when in fact Paul, inspired by God's Holy Spirit, wrote them so that we would check ourselves to make sure that we have activated God's Holy Spirit that is already residing in us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple the residence, the dwelling place of God's Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. It's a lot easier said than done, I realize. And that's the result of sin that Paul talked about in the Romans passage. Yet we still should strive for it. And so we see that the arrival is a one-time occurrence that happened in the first century the way that it did. But the receiving of God's Spirit in the individual person is a permanent, one-time occurrence at the moment of salvation. It's a permanent, one-time occurrence at the moment of salvation. And listen, I want you to know, if you're a Christ follower and you're watching or listening today, that the moment that you gave your life to Christ, when you made that genuine commitment to become a Christian, when you said, whether it was in private, in your home, or on the side of the road, or whether it was with a mom, or a dad, or a pastor, or like myself, a teacher, whether it was young or old, at that moment where you accepted Christ as your Savior, God's Spirit, the Spirit of God took up residence in your life. Is that not incredibly cool? That's the word dwell. That's what Paul talked about. The word dwell talks about the Spirit of God living in us and and our bodies being the temple of God's Holy Spirit. And so then what does that mean? What do we do then? And that's the last thing that I want to talk with you about today. It's the third thing that we often get confused confused with, and that is is the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, we can have received the Spirit of God for salvation, and we can be empty, and we can still be empty because the Spirit of God is grieved by our actions, or we may quench and ignore the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. And so we can be Christ followers who understand the Holy Spirit's work in our lives and receive the Holy Spirit at that moment of salvation, but are depleted because we haven't been continually filling ourselves with God's Spirit that's available and active in our lives. You see, the filling of the Spirit of God in the individual person is a continual process for the Christ follower. Paul, Apostle Paul, who wrote that passage in Romans and the one in 1 Corinthians we already looked at, he, he wrote this in Ephesians 5, Verse 18, he said this, don't get drunk with wine, 
Some of you are like, why is he talking about that today? Why is he using that verse? It's because of the second part of it. He says, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But I want you to hear this, because Paul's point was more about the last part of this verse than it was even the first part of it, although they were dealing with that issue back then, just like we do today. But he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul, in using the original language, would have communicated something to the people of that day, and he wants to communicate it to you, and he communicates it to us today, that it is a continual filling God's spirit in our lives. He indwells us. We become his temple, his dwelling place individually. We get emptied sometimes of his power. And the problem is, is if we go day after day after day of being emptied and hour after hour after hour of being depleted, if we go uh, our, our whole lives with having the, the, the power of God's Holy Spirit residing and living in us, but we never activate it or we, we don't continually activate His Holy Spirit in our lives, we really aren't using the power that Jesus died for, that God sent his son for in our lives. You see, we can say to God, I am empty, but I can be filled. I am empty, but I can be filled because the spirit of God lives in me. Years ago, when I was growing in my faith, when I was a teenager, really growing at a, at a sharp pace as, as a teenager, um, my spiritual dad, Jeff Cranston, who's the pastor of Low Country Community Church, and um, Jeff taught me a, a lot about the, the Trinity. He taught me about God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And he, he made an interesting comment to me, and it, it stuck with me all these many years. I can't do the math in my head. It's a lot of years. So anyway, it stuck with me all these years, and, and, and I remember this, and it, it, I'm reminded of it often. I'm reminded of it when I'm going through good times, but especially when I'm challenged especially on Sunday morning, if you see me with my hands open like this and I'm, I'm bowing my heads, I'm not ignoring the music. I'm asking for God to fill me with his Holy Spirit. I've already received him when I, when I received Jesus as my Savior, but I'm depleted, I'm empty, and I need to be filled. And I remember Jeff saying, you know, Todd, you can have the power of God and the presence of God in your life all the time. You can walk around kind of like with this thought in mind that, that God is, is, is with you. And then he paused and he said, because he is. Because he is. Because he is. And so some of you today, you may be a Christ follower. And your world is falling apart. You feel like you're hanging on by a thread. You're tired, exhausted. I don't mean just physically, but I mean spiritually. You feel like you haven't been nourished in months spiritually. You're emotionally depleted because our, our emotional condition is tied to our spiritual condition. And, and you wonder why in the world you, you can't seem to get a grip on your spiritual life or your life in general. Maybe, 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 maybe it's just because... You haven't simply asked God to fill you continually. I don't know about you, but I have to ask God to fill me every day. 
I have to ask for the Spirit of God to refill me sometimes every hour. There are times when I go from one minute to the next that I need to be refilled with God's Holy Spirit. And I'll just pause. And I'll say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, just fill me. Fill me right now. You see, we can say I'm empty, but I can be filled because he's with us. Our prayer can be, fill me. Change me, fill me, change me, control me, and lead me, Holy Spirit. See, we don't have to wait on God anymore. We can pray that prayer that's right behind me, right above me. We can pray that prayer at any moment, in any situation, in any circumstance, and we can have the power of the living God on our side. You know, yesterday... A lot of you may have watched in a moment of good news in our world when Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, and NASA sent Americans from American soil into the space, first time in nine years. As a kid who lived in Orlando for a period of time and watched the space shuttle go up numerous times, man, it was awesome to, to sit there in my living room with my son watching, um, watching us get back into space. And and I kind of I kind of follow a little bit of what Elon Musk does and SpaceX and man I, I love what they do and and I love these Tesla cars I don't know about you they're they're awesome we're seeing more and more of them I don't have one just to be clear I just want to make that clear I don't have one okay so anyway I never will either but I, I love um, seeing these and I'm seeing them more and more and more uh, just around Hilton Head and around town and I know they're becoming more and more popular and I got thinking about it the other day uh, I know that they're they're electric and so you, you take them home and you plug them in and then if you drive you have to monitor it it monitors for you of course how far you can go on the uh, electric power that's been stored there in the batteries of that Tesla and I got thinking about it you know um, like not asking for the continued filling of God's Holy Spirit every moment every hour or every day or however often that we need it is like driving home at the end of a day with a Tesla pulling it into the garage not plugging it in and driving on a long trip the next day and wondering why we've died. Wondering why we have to pull over because there's no more power left. You see, we had the power there. It was already installed. It was ready to go, but we didn't plug it in. And we wonder why we're so empty. I want to challenge you, Christ follower, first of all, today to tap in to the power of God's Holy Spirit that on that Pentecost day, he came upon the Christ follower and the Christians and the church in a new and different and remarkable way. And the power which he exhibited in defeating death and the power which God's Holy Spirit exhibited by coming down in the nature that he did is available for you be continually filled with God's Holy Spirit. Every day I, I have a declaration that I read out loud to God, and some days I'm faithful with it, and some days I'm not, but it's a daily declaration. And part of that declaration, here's what I read to God, fill me with your Holy Spirit so I may act like Jesus, live out your word, and follow your lead. Because we all need that. We all get empty. We all get depleted, and spiritually, we need to tap into the source that is free and ready 
and available for each one of us who have accepted him as our Savior. And secondly, for those of you who have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can receive God's Holy Spirit right now, today in your life. It doesn't matter that we're doing this over technology. It doesn't matter whether you're watching live right now or whether you're watching in a few hours or a few days or weeks. You can receive that power by simply giving your life to Christ, by admitting that you're a sinner, by confessing that you're, you're a sinner, by believing that Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, and by trusting in him and him alone to be your Savior. And I want to give you opportunity to do that right now. So would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that you are the one who came to die for us. But God, I also thank you that you didn't leave us to try to figure it out on our own. Because God, in living this life, I know I can't do it by myself. I can't do it on my own power. I can't live for you without your power in me. And Father, I pray for every Christian within the sound of my voice who may be watching or listening. God, I pray that you would help them to activate the Spirit of God that's already living in them. God, I pray that you would help them in their moment of pain or frustration or, or despondency to plug in spiritually to that which is already dwelling inside of them, living inside of them, and that is your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would help each one of us to tap into your Holy Spirit daily or hourly or moment by moment. Whenever we're depleted, that we would rely on you. And Father, I pray for those who may be watching or listening who have never put their faith in you. They've never confessed you as Savior. They've never believed in you to be their Savior. But something has happened today. Something's going on in their life, and they've realized that they're a sinner, that there's nothing good enough that they can do to get to heaven, to have a relationship with you that there's nothing that they can undo about their past that can make that happen. But today, something happened. A, a switch flipped. And today in their life, they realize the need for you. I pray that they would receive your Holy Spirit right now, that this would be their day of Pentecost simply because they put their trust in you. And at that moment of salvation, you indwell our lives. If you're listening or watching and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you to do that right now. And I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. And I want to encourage you and challenge you and invite you to pray it in your heart if you believe it. It's a prayer that goes like this. God, thank you for bringing me to this place today. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your son, to die on the cross for my sins. And I admit that I have sinned and that sin keeps me from you. But today, I trust and I believe in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. If you prayed that prayer along with me in the quietness of 
of wherever you are in your, in your heart, if you meant it, if it was genuine, I want to encourage you to reach out to us, to email us, to get on our website and figure out a way to, to reach out. If you're on Facebook right now or Instagram, let them know that in the comments section. And we want to follow up with you and make sure that you're anchored in your faith. God, I thank you that today some people may have <laughs> exchanged hell for heaven. They may have exchanged guilt for freedom. They may have in this tumultuous world exchanged no hope for complete hope in your son. And in doing so, they received the power of your Holy Spirit. May each one of us who have made that decision live plugged in, walking with, following your Spirit leading us in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.